Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Art Williams. His message is entitled, The Fear, Faith, Love Equation. Art. There are many fears in our life, and sometimes we're not even aware that we're being motivated by fear. Fear is a bondage. And it can rule us just like any other organic entity. It's alive, it changes forms, changes levels of intensity, manifests itself in many different behaviors, even when there is only one cause. Of course, the universal fear is that of death. But it shouldn't be so. It says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who their fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. As a young person, I was kind of a, a victim of fear-mongering alarmists that were expounding almost every news event that was somehow significant to end-time development. It was very damaging to me. It fostered an attitude of why do anything? It was all going to blow up and be destroyed. Of course, later, I developed an attitude of then not wanting the kingdom of God to come. I was afraid of the tribulation, and I wanted to fill my, fulfill my American dream. Of course, I should have been subjecting my will to his will, as it says in James 4.15, we should say, God willing, I will do this or that, but that wasn't in my makeup at the time. We don't, need, we don't need to create unbridled, incorrectly focused fear. Fear that God does not want us to have. Fears that cause us to do things he does not want us to do. A fear that destroys faith. He expects us to have reverential fear and respect and dignity toward him. But that's not the negative fear that I'm addressing Fear is a bondage, and scripture repeatedly tells us not to fear. So what is the remedy for anxiety and fear? It's hard to apprehend the remedy. It's simple to read in the scriptures, to acquire the knowledge, to apprehend it spiritually with its spiritual intent and inculcate that into our heart and spirit. It requires more. It requires meditation and a lot of actual effort. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, if you're looking in the King James now, it says, which passes all understanding, it correctly should be surpasses. It exceeds, the peace of God exceeds understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In John 17, 9, Jesus gives his prayer, and he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. This statement confirms that no man can come to Christ except the Father draw him. 
and continuing in verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, the future believers, that's, that's us. He prays for his personal followers, followers that will be tasked with fulfilling the commissions, take the gospel to the world and preach repentance and remission of sin and baptize those people that believe and to the individual that are tasked with the work, become perfect as your father in heaven is perfect or as Paul says, be conformed to the image of Christ. And so as we do this work, we can enter many fearful environments. And Proverbs 16, 7 kind of gives us a little peace and gives us some direction. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. We have many examples of this in Daniel. Daniel and his three friends, they were protected within the confines of the enemy of the country. While the country was being devastated, in particular Jerusalem, God brings nations against nations, but Christians are primarily the citizens of the kingdom of God. And if we believe this and act accordingly, he can and will use the enemy of the country to protect and keep his own and their households. Our part is to follow his instructions, become what he wants us to become. And if we do this, he will take care of the rest. And I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture here because if we look in, in Revelation 2, 8 through 11, if we look at the letters to the churches, particular Smyrna, Smyrna church has no faults. And he says to them, I know your poverty and tribulation but be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He knows their plight, but apparently he says that he gives no indication that he's going to do anything about rectifying the poverty, the tribulation, and tax of the devil, but instructs them to be faithful unto death. Well, why? Don't know for sure, but sometimes his plans are bigger and greater than we are as individuals, and we have to do the adapting. Just as Daniel and his three friends, they were young men with hopes and dreams, and they all were changed by the invasion by Babylon. My purpose is to show you the fear, faith, love equation, and how to make it work for you. The degree of success you will have in this endeavor largely depends on who you think you are and what you think you are. These are two large contributors to your thought, decision-making, and emotions. I have two examples of them. The first one is the German people in World War II who thought they were a superior race. That's who they thought they were and what they thought they were. Their decisions and their attached emotional actions are etched in the annals of history. The second is Field Marshal Montgomery in the British Army, and I don't mean to uh, offend any of our English friends. If I can find my right sheet here, I get them out of order. He, uh, he thought he was superior to Eisenhower and should be an overhaul command, and he challenged Eisenhower publicly. A staff officer said to him afterwards, that he just assured himself of being fired 
<coughs> Monty's response was, they can't fire me, there's no one to replace me. The staff officer gave him a name of a competitor of his and said Churchill would have to support Eisenhower because of the great American contribution to the war. With that, Monte said, I forgot all about him. What am I going to do? The staff officer told Monte to write a letter of apology assuring Eisenhower of his continued support and obedience. This squashed a potential damaging rift in the Yellow Command. These are illustrations of how, who we think we are and what we think we are impacts our decision-making and our emotions. And the solution is for us to develop the mind of Christ, as it says in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians 4, 23, 24, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Here are some aspects of having the mind of Christ. Believing and living as if we are citizens in the kingdom of God right now. It says in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And another second point, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is not of this world. In John 18, 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here, not from earth, not from this place. Point number three is that we're, we are warriors. And Paul says it this way in writing to Timothy, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Each of us needs to assess our involvement in our activities and judge for ourselves what represents entanglement. If it hinders our relationship with Christ or opposes his instructions and teaching, then we should not be involved. There are, there are four levels of involvement. There is national, regional, local, and personal. And there are four classifications in which you can be involved political, economic, military, and social. And we need to limit our involvement if it causes us not to please him who has enlisted us, because it is he who, when he returns, will give us a position in his government fourth point is that we are ambassadors for Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. 
That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. To seek to define ourselves by these criteria and subjugate our personal hopes and desires within his will, as Daniel's three friends did, knowing that he has two different wills. He has a defined will, which is defined in the scriptures, and he has an undefined will, which is for you personally, where perhaps you pray to him about, well, should I have a job in New York or in California? And you pray to him. It's an undefined, he will answer you. It's an undefined will. Or if you're planning to get married and you pray about who you're going to marry, He says in his instructions, we give our cares over to him. And it's all right for us to pursue our desires as long as they're couched in what James said. I mentioned this earlier, that we say in our heart, it's not just words, it's in our heart, that your will be done. If, you, if it's your will for me to do this, then I will do this. But as we go about our lives, we must be in concert with his instructions and we can give our cares over to him. Whatever our cares, then he is willing and always capable of taking care of them. The fear-faith love equation is this. If you focus on and trust in the physical, you will have fear. Your fear will diminish your faith. But love kills fear. So the secret to growing faith is to have love and that will kill your fear. Let's see part of the equation here in one of the stories in the Bible. We'll look at the fear and faith part of the equation in Matthew 14, 25. And we're all well acquainted with this. It's when Peter walked on the water. Now in the fourth watch of the night, and that's early morning, the Romans kept their time from 12 midnight and 12 noon, and that's how they calculated their time. Based on that, this would be about 4 a.m. in the morning or so. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let's go back and look a little closer at this, starting in verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come to you on the water. It's like a prayer request. And Jesus answered and said, come. So the request was acknowledged, was acknowledged with affirmation. Additionally, you could look at it as being a command. What comes to mind there is the scripture that says, if you love me, keep my words, keep my commands. And so Peter did. He followed the command and he walked on the water. And by walking on the water, he demonstrated his faith and his trust and his confidence by his works, keeping his eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus by studying, by prayer, by meditation, and that's the big one, a meditation, especially on his instructions, and especially mentally. To be thinking about what we are thinking about is very important in terms of apprehending what we're talking about today is thinking about what you're thinking about. Very important. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out saying, Lord, save me. When he became focused on the physical, he saw the danger. And when he saw the danger, he became fearful, and when he became fearful, he lost his faith. Fear that was initiated by the surrounding environment that he took in by his sight. Lesson learned, fear impedes or destroys faith. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. In Psalm 23, 4 and 5, we get some more instruction on fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How do we get there? How do we get to where we can have that kind of confidence that we literally could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not have any fear that we rely on his staff and rod which are his ways of protecting us. It's an analogy to a sheep herder. These are not idle words of religious philosophy. He wants this to be our reality. I haven't got there yet. I want to. I believe it begins with having the mind of Christ. Single biggest factor is meditation, as I've mentioned. I've got a book. It's called The Battlefield of Your Mind. 272 pages and nothing about spiritually developing your mind for Christ. 272 pages on this one little subject. It's a great tool for helping meditation. You know, we could run a test on ourselves... You know, I, I could ask for volunteers. How would you like to volunteer to go with me to undertake an evangelistic campaign in Iraq? I don't imagine too many of us would be excited about that. 
perspective. <laughs> and you might think I've lost my brain to even suggest that. Maybe I have a death wish. But that certainly would be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, wouldn't it be? I heard a live interview with a man that carried a cross through Iraq. It was a number of years ago. Before things became as violent as they are today. He also carried the cross through Afghanistan and Iran and Lebanon and a whole bunch of other countries. The list goes on. China, Sudan, Somalia, North Korea, Lebanon, India, Palestine, Israel, Cuba, Liberia, North and South Yemen, Vietnam, Mongolia. He was arrested 24 times. Let's mix it up again here. And when he was in Iraq, of course, I, I suppose this would be inevitable, right? If you're in Iraq or any of those countries, he was surrounded by a bunch of Islamic radicals. They told him, we're going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. He didn't pull out a gun. He pulled out the words. He pulled out his beliefs. And he said, you can't kill me. You can only initiate my transition. He told them about the message, the, the mission of Jesus. And they invited him home to their camp and gave him dinner. What is the last half of Psalm 23? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. He literally was the personification of what happens, what is described in Psalm 23. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death in numerous countries, fearing no evil. And to do that, you don't do that and then hope you develop the faith. And you have to have the faith before you even do it. And then they invited him home to their camp for dinner. Proverbs 16, 7 again, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. In Ephesians 6, 12, it defines who we war with. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's who we war against. The enemies of the warrior of Jesus Christ doesn't fight against flesh and blood. They don't fight against the declared enemies of any state or of any nation because they are not enemies Nations, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Get ahead of myself here. John, 1 John 4.18 says, 
There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And there is the rest of the equation. Fear destroys faith, but love destroys fear. Fear destroys faith, but love destroys fear. In Matthew 5, 44 through 46, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for them who spitefully use you and persecute you. Next verse. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. By implication. By implication then, if you don't love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good unto you, those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you, are you not one of the sons of your Father in heaven? Or you can't be? It goes on. For he makes his, his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And continuing in John 18, 36, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Why don't we fight our enemies? One reason is because our enemies are deceived by Satan. And he makes it very clear in Revelation when he returns and throws Satan into the bottomless pit. He lays all the guilt on Satan for deceiving the nations. He says, Satan has deceived the nations. And because of that, he puts them all under unbelief so that he can be merciful to them. And we are part of that operation. We are not to adapt the enemies of our nation. We're not to look at them as enemies. Because nations fight for different reasons. Not associated at all with the, with the commission given by Jesus. Now they may look on us as enemies. But we're not to look on them as enemies. He will take care of it if we do that. War generates hate and fear, the opposite of what's required for spiritual growth. The commission is a worldwide work. And he doesn't want sanctified disciples in one nation killing sanctified disciples in another nation. I had the opportunity to live within about 100 miles of a man that serviced. For a while he serviced Estonia, in Western countries in Africa. Later on, he was reassigned to do the Philippines and some of the other areas. But there are spirit-believing Christians in Thailand, Burma, Kenya, Western countries of Africa, Estonia, over the world. Not just America. There's spiritual Israel. You know, when Jesus comes back, 
He gives us a position of rulership. And he's going to destroy the government of the United States of America and replace it. Our loyalty needs to be with Jesus. We need to be a patriot of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. If you can identify the cause of your fears, and sometimes we can't. Sometimes we're fearful and we haven't got a clue why. I've been there. Been there, done that. But if you can, detail them to him in specific terms. Inquire him, from him the accuracy of your understanding of the situation and the events. And one thing that's becoming practically a habit in our country, and especially with talk radio, it seems to be epidemic now, is jumping to conclusions. People don't have any knowledge about what the situation is, but boy, they sure have the opinions. And we can't allow ourselves to be sucked into that mental framework, even if it is happening. Back in 1975, there was a booklet that came out that said 1975 in prophecy. That was part of my problem because I believed it. I believed the tribulation was coming then. It put a lot of fear into me. And I don't think the booklet had the intentions of doing that. It was a natural consequence. It, what's, the, what's the law of unintended consequences, you know? And so a, a, a good intended religious information can sometimes blow up in your face. You have to put all the information together. If you, if you knew that you shouldn't set dates, and if you knew the rest of the scriptures, which were not put in the booklet, you knew that the precursors never had happened yet. So don't jump to the conclusion. And there was a disclaimer in the booklet saying, we're not saying 1975 is a year, but nobody reads the disclaimer. They jump to the conclusion and then run around. Of course, 1975 comes and goes and nothing happened. Well, our, our, my prayer was answered. I prayed the tribulation wouldn't come and it didn't come. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> But in Romans 8.28, he says, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. These are two requirements for answered prayer. If we're going to pray to have the mind of Christ and work on that and try to get rid of our fears, and here's the first thing, is to love God. Love God. All things work together for good to those who love God. How do you love God? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, keep my words, follow my instructions. And are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. His defined will and his undefined will. And his instructions.
sometimes proving what is good and acceptable to him, especially when we're dealing with the undefined will, is difficult. Sometimes we don't know which way to turn. When we were moving down here from New York, I had a telephone call with my sister, and we had been praying about it and on. I asked her, well, you think he still wants us to move down here? (laughs) Because certain things were happening, you know. But he goes on here, by the renewing of our mind, and if we've already done this, this facilitates the proving in Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, here, here we go, but by transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Did you catch it? If you're transformed by the renewing of the mind, then you're going to be able to prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Abraham Lincoln was at a news conference. And one of the reporters of the day said to him, Jefferson Davis, he's the president of the Confederacy, says, God is on their side. Whose side do you say, Mr. President Lincoln? President Lincoln thought for a moment, then he said, I think God is on our side, but God cannot be both for and against the same thing at the same time. Therefore, one of us must be, but both of us might be wrong. He may not have an iron in the fire. Sometimes he doesn't care. You know, if he seems like he's not giving you an answer to a prayer, you know, sometimes it's like, is he saying no, or is it that he just doesn't care? You know? Maybe he's saying to you, well, let's go do it and see what happens. That's where apprehending the peace of God having already transformed our minds, makes the situation easier to deal with. If you step out, he's right there, he has his staff, and he has his rod to comfort you, even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Faith is an interesting study. In Matthew 9.29, Jesus heals two blind men, and he touches their eyes, and he says something intriguing. He He doesn't say, be healed. He says, according to your faith, let it be to you. Now, if these men were blind from birth, never having experienced sight, they probably have very little expectation as to what sight is. But there again, if they had sight and they went blind by an accident or from a disease or something, one of them may have had 20-40 vision, another 20-60 One was nearsighted, one was farsighted. But what he says to them, according to your faith, let it be to you. Each of them may have been healed to a different level of vision. One may have believed his vision would have been restored to what he had in the beginning, and maybe that was 2060. He should have hoped for 2020. So this is a function of faith in their history. What they expected is what they got.
it has a lot of applications according to your faith. Let it be to you. Whatever your situations are today, and one of the big fears that back in, in, with that booklet in 1975 when it came out was what's going to happen to the children. Isaiah 49, I'm not going to turn there, but I'm just going to reference you. I, went, I, referenced, I gave a message about this a year and a half ago. Isaiah 49, 22 and 23 gives some insight in how God protects children with the kings and the queens of other nations. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, it shows how if one member of the family is a believer, the entire family is sanctified and the children are holy. Nineteen times in the Old Testament, God says, for my servant David's sake, I will. For my servant David's sake, I will. And then he goes on and says what he's going to be doing. God was loyal to David even after David's death. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever inserted your own name and then asked for the desired action? It'd be something like this. For your servant, Art Williams' sake, please keep Kimmy Jacobson from and fill it in. Even after you're dead and gone, he can answer that and fulfill it. We don't need to be fearful about it. If we intercede on the behalf of our loved ones and place them into the hands of a merciful God while meeting the requirements that he has put before us, then we should expect him to answer. And with the degree of our faith, then the fate of our loved ones may very well rest in our own hands. According to your faith, be it unto you. So it's important to follow the instructions of Jesus. They are the words of life. They're the instructions for you to become what he wants you to become, who he wants you to become, to have a correct mental perspective of who you are and what you are. His words are supreme. Colossians 1.9, Paul writes, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, continuing in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek the mind of God, grow in love, grow in faith, and kill fear.